Well, friends, uh, who is the most important person you have ever met? Uh, I'm a bit of a boring person, so uh, I haven't actually met anyone who is considered too important in this world. But I know from my conversations with some of you that there are people in church at nine who have met some very important people indeed. I can think of one person who has met Princess Diana, for example. I can think of another who has met Muhammad Ali. One person told me the other day that they almost met Barack Obama. I I don't know whether that counts. Uh, They almost met him, um, but didn't quite get there. Uh, Now, all these people um, are important or significant in one way or another, aren't they? But Christian people are people who claim not only to have met the living God, but continue to meet with him and share a relationship with him. What does it look like to meet with God? Is there an appropriate way to meet God? Have you met God in your life? Well, this morning we're going to wrestle with some of these questions by looking at Exodus 19 together. Uh, If you remember from last week, we looked at Exodus 19 verses 1 to 6 where God announces the covenant relationship that he is about to enter with his people. And today we're going to look at the rest of the chapter where the people of Israel prepare to meet God and to hear from him. It really is an extraordinarily important meeting. Uh, Some of you might know that this event is described in the book of Deuteronomy as the day of the assembly. Uh, The word for assembly in the Hebrew language, which is the language of the Old Testament, is the same word that is often translated as church in the New Testament. And so you can kind of think of this as the first church meeting where Israel meets with God collectively as his people. Now, I think a good way to look at this passage is to have a look at the characters in the passage. And so we will firstly have a look at God, then we'll have a look at the people of Israel, and then we'll have a look at the significance of Moses. Well, firstly, if we have a look at God in this passage, it's quite clear that God wants a relationship with the people of Israel. If you have your Bibles there, you can see it uh, in verse 9 of chapter 19, verse 9 where God says to Moses that he will come to speak not only with him, but with the people of Israel through him. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When God finally descends on the mountain a little bit later on, we are told in verse 19 that God has a conversation with Moses. Uh, It says there in verse 19, and as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him in thunder. You see, conversations and speaking is the stuff of relationships, isn't it? Uh, This is the reason why God has saved Israel from slavery in Egypt. He wants to speak to his people and share a relationship with them. However, it soon becomes apparent that meeting with God is not 
a straightforward thing. Why? Well, it's because God is so dangerously holy in his moral purity and his transcendence that anyone or anything that is not holy will simply be consumed by him. Now, that's why in this passage, Moses is instructed to fence off the mountain so that the people of Israel cannot get too close to God's presence, which is what the mountain represents. Uh, again, if you have your Bibles, you can see it there in verse 12. Verse 12. And you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Later on, God tells Moses to warn the people a second time. Uh, you repeat warnings if it's something important or serious, don't you? And so in verse 21, Moses is to warn the people not to approach God on their own terms or they will die. They are not to come closer than the limits that have been set. Further, in verse 22, we are introduced to the priests in Israel uh, who seem to strangely have been around uh, even before they are formally constituted uh, later on in the book of Exodus. But here the priests are authorized to come a little bit closer up the mountain. And further in verse 24, Moses and Aaron are able to come to the top of the mountain, which is the place where God himself descends to from heaven. In other words, it seems like Mount Sinai has different zones and only authorized people can come closer to God than others. Now, you know, it's a little bit like the nuclear reactor at Loftus Heights. Uh, I'd imagine uh, that there are a lot of steel doors uh, uh, at Loftus Heights and only authorized people who have prepared themselves in some way can go into each section as you get closer to the reactor. If any unauthorized person approaches the core of the reactor without the proper uh, preparations, like wearing a hazmat suit and other protective clothing, well, they will simply be incinerated, won't they, if they get too close. That's sort of the picture you get here. God is so dangerously holy that an unholy people cannot approach him and expect to live. You cannot be casual with God and expect things to turn out okay, you see. Uh, some of you might remember the television ad advertisement in the 70s in Australia where they asked the question, when you get to heaven, what do you think you'll say? And the answer they gave on that advertisement was, well, say g'day. Say g'day to God and say g'day to others. This casual attitude towards God is something that is very common in our world and even among many Christian people, isn't it, if we're honest? But, friends, God is not your mate or my mate. He is not our best friend. He is not, you know, just a slightly better version of ourselves. No, God is dangerously holy in his moral purity and transcendence. 
and we simply cannot approach him on our own terms. That's why in this passage, God requires the people to be consecrated if they are to meet with him. Uh, you can see this in the instructions he gives to Moses in verse 10, uh, which are then carried out in verse 14. Uh, it says there in verse 14, so Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. What is consecration? Well, the word consecration and the word holy comes from the same root. And so to be consecrated means to be made holy. Now, we are not given much detail in this passage about the nature of this consecration, but we can see that it has something to do with purity because the people are to respond by washing their clothes as a symbol of being purified. And further, it has something to do with exclusive devotion because the people are to respond by not going near a woman, which is a euphemism for no sex. It's not that sex with your marriage partner is bad. Rather, it's because the people of Israel are about to enter into an exclusively devoted relationship with God, an exclusive covenant, almost like a marriage. And so abstaining from sex with another is an appropriate symbol. But here's the thing. Notice that consecration is not is something that is done to the people of Israel and not something they, that they can do for themselves. It is Moses who consecrates the people and they are simply to wash their clothes and abstain from sex as a result of that consecration. What God is teaching his people is that if you want to get ready to meet me, you need to be consecrated or made holy by another. And so God is dangerously holy. That much is clear. But how do the cons consecrated people of Israel respond to God as he comes down to meet with them at the mountain? Well, you can see from the passage that the meeting itself, which happens on the third day after consecration, is a very dramatic affair. In verse 16, now did you notice that there is thunder and, and lightning Further, you have a thick cloud that covers the mountain, symbolizing God's presence, and a very loud trumpet blast calling attention to the fact that God is coming. In verse 18, God himself descends on the mountain in fire and smoke, and there is a great earthquake as the mountain trembles violently. Further, you can see there that the sound of the trumpet grows louder and louder and louder. It's as though God is coming closer and closer and closer. And how do the people respond? Well, they are terrified. In verse 16, we are told that just as the mountain itself trembled, all the people in the camp trembled. Later on, after God speaks the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel, we are told that the people are terrified because they think they are going to die. Uh, if you flip forward with me to chapter 20, verse 18, uh, grab your Bibles, chapter 20, verse 18. 
Uh, it says there, now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. You see, this isn't a light-hearted visit to the Sydney Vivid Light and Sound Festival, is it? The people of Israel have heard God's voice. They have encountered the living God and they are terrified and fearful. But then did you notice what Moses says to the people of Israel? He says something very strange. Uh, have a look with me at uh, chapter 20, verse 20. Chapter 20, verse 20. Moses says to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. It almost sounds like a, uh, like a contradiction, doesn't it? A bit contradictory. Do not fear, but God wants you to fear. What is going on here? Well, what Moses is saying here is that if you fear God so that you listen to him and put away sin, which is a rejection of God's word, then you have nothing to fear. You do not need to fear death at God's hands for your sin and unholiness. But if you take God lightly, and casually and without seriousness in your life, well, you have everything to fear. You see, the right kind of fear is a good thing, isn't it? Fearing God means that you don't have to fear anything else. But how is this meeting and relationship between God and his people made possible? Well, in our passage this morning, you can see that it is made possible through Moses, who acts as the mediator between God and his people. You can see that this is the role that is given to Moses right at the start um, in, in verse 9 of chapter 19. Verse 9 of chapter 19, we are told, And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may, may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And uh, later on, we've also seen that uh, the people beg Moses um, to speak to them because they don't want God speaking directly to them. Uh, when I was a, a junior tax consultant uh, in a former life, I used to do a lot of walking up and down the city. Uh, my office was at one end of the city. The tax office was at the other end of the city. And so I used to walk up and down the city again and again on behalf of my clients. I would lodge tax returns on behalf of my clients. I would speak to the people at the tax office on behalf of my clients. I would receive communication from the tax office to bring back to my clients. You see, I would go up and down the city so that my clients would enjoy a good relationship with the tax authorities. I lost inches around my waist at the time as well. But that's the role of a mediator, isn't it? The mediator is the one who makes relationship possible. 
And did you notice that Moses does the same thing here? He goes up and down the mountain, no less than three times in our passage and continuously later on as well, in order to make this relationship with God and the people possible. Now, you've got to realize Moses is an old man by this stage, but he climbs up and down this mountain multiple times. He approaches God on behalf of the people. He speaks to God on behalf of the people. He hears God on behalf of the people. He is the mediator that they need in order to meet with God and have this relationship. Now, friends, uh, the experience of Israel at Mount Sinai is not really our experience, is it? I mean, if you are a Christian person, if you trust in Jesus, I hope that your experience of God is not one of distance from God and abject terror of God. Why is this the case? Well, in our New Testament reading this morning from Hebrews 12, we are told that it is because we have come to a different mountain. In Hebrews 12, we are told that we have not come to Mount Sinai, which was a terrifying experience, as we've seen, but rather we have come to a different mountain, which is Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. In other words, the writer to the Hebrews is saying that if you are somebody who has put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, well, you have come to the gathering of God's people in heaven itself. It's a staggering reality, don't you think? Uh, if you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22, just flip forward with me to Hebrews 12, verse 22. Notice that the writer doesn't simply say that you will one day find yourself in heaven. He says that if you have come, so rather, he says, if you are a Christian person, then you have come to heaven already, where you are spiritually gathered with all of God's people around the throne of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, further, no, did you notice that in this heavenly gathering in Hebrews 12, there is a different mood altogether. No longer is the mood one of terror, which is what we have seen at Sinai, but the mood of this heavenly gathering is one of festivity and joy and delight. You are gathered with the angels and all of God's people together with God in one great celebration. The fear of Sinai has given way to festivity. But why this different mood? Well, it's because we have a different mediator. Uh, again, if you have Hebrews 12 open, you can see it there in verse 12, which says that we have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You see, friends, in Jesus, we don't have a mediator who goes up and down the mountain for us. We have God himself who has come down from heaven to earth to us in the flesh to be with us. In Jesus, we don't have a mediator who simply consecrates us externally, but we have one who has 
washed our consciences clean on the inside by his blood. And the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, it says. For Abel and his blood, if you remember, cried out for vengeance at Cain who murdered him. But Christ's blood cries out for forgiveness and mercy. What an extraordinary thing, friends, that we have come to God in this heavenly gathering by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. But friends, here's the thing. There is one thing that hasn't changed here. What is that thing? Well, God hasn't changed. We are told that he is still the dangerously holy God who is a consuming fire. And so the writer of the Hebrews gives a warning as he finishes this part of his sermon. He says, make sure you do not take God's word lightly, casually, thoughtlessly, so that you reject what he says, even as you hear it. For one day he will shake up the world just as he shook Mount Sinai and those who have rejected him, who have gone against his will and his word, will be sifted out to their destruction. Rather, he says in verse 28, that we should be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And he encourages us to offer to God acceptable worship with reverence, that is fear and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Now, to offer acceptable worship to God is to let every area of our lives be shaped by his word. That is what it means to fear God so that we do not need to fear other things. Uh, I've noticed that near where I live, uh, there have been quite a few pop-up libraries being installed. Uh, have you seen those things in your suburb? Uh, they are put in public spaces and you can go and grab a, a book from there. And they are, in effect, the bigger library that exists in miniature, isn't it? And I want to suggest that this is a little bit like church. You know, whenever we gather together, either online uh, or hopefully face-to-face -face soon when this pandemic is over, we are, in effect, that great gathering in heaven in miniature. And although we, uh, what we do at church can sometimes look very ordinary, what is actually happening as the Bible is read and taught is that the living God is meeting with his people, is meeting with you and me and addressing us. Church at Nine, do you believe this? And so I want to ask us this morning, what is your attitude and my attitude towards God's word when we gather as his people? Do you come expectantly to church? because you believe that you will hear God speaking to you? Or do you come reluctantly, not thinking anything too much important is going to happen? 
Now, do you see sermon time as a bit of a time for a mental break to do other things? Or do you work hard at understanding the things that God is saying? Do you sit over God's word and simply judge the quality of the sermon without much change in your life? Or do you sit under God's word and give God acceptable worship by amending your life? When was the last time you and I repented and changed something in our lives as a result of hearing God speaking to us? Imagine if we all came together at church, whether it's online or face-to-face in due course, with the right attitude towards God's word. It will affect everything, don't you think? It will affect the priority we give to attending church over other things. It will affect the time we arrive at church. It will affect our expectations whenever the Bible is opened and taught. It will affect what we speak about to one another. It will affect our very lives as we offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God, friends, is a consuming fire. Let me lead us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can gather today online uh, to hear your voice. And we thank you especially for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that by his blood spilt for us, we have been made holy and that you have gathered us to yourself in the great heavenly assembly with all its joy and festivity. And Father, whilst we long for that day when we will see our Lord Jesus face to face, we thank you that each time we gather as your people on earth, you speak to us of the blood of Jesus and teach us what it means to live as his people. And Father, forgive us for the times when we have taken church and hearing your word lightly or carelessly or with frivolity. Please help us to fear you by listening to your word seriously and help us to amend our lives in response to the things that we hear so that we might give.